Welcome to another episode of Latina Life with Jenna Malena. Our guest today is super Latina Regina Merson. She was born in Guadalajara, Mexico, grew up in America, attended and graduated Yale University and the University of Chicago, went on to become a bankruptcy lawyer after that. But throughout her entire journey, she couldn't shake her love of makeup like all us Latinas. <laughs> and she also saw as a Latina that there was a void for in the beauty industry for all of us. So what did she do? She decided to create her own beauty company, Patolas Reinas Latinas out there. So for all of the Latina queens. So she's the founder and CEO of Reina Rebelde, appropriately called Rebel Queen. Regina, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my God, we're so excited to have you on Queen. And um, so many questions to ask you, um, especially because your story is very fascinating. But let's start with where you're from. You're originally born in Guadalajara and then you came over to the United States at 10 years old. So tell us how that was for you as a child, all of a sudden leaving where you were born to this new place in Dallas, Texas. I mean, in a word, it was traumatizing. Um, I, we, we are a very multi-generational uh, Mexican family. Uh, my parents had gotten divorced when I was very young. And we, we just really clinged, I think, to kind of the society and the group of friends and, and, and aunts that we had there and uncles. And my mom um, ended up falling in love with an American uh, man. And he was hell-bent on living in Mexico because he loved Mexico so much and then realized he, he really couldn't, you know, do, he, he was also an entrepreneur, is an entrepreneur. He also couldn't run his business from there. This was the eighties. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so we, we decided to move to Dallas and it was talk about a culture shock. I mean, starting with, I'll never forget this, like forever is burning my mind. The day my mom brought me off at school and gave me like a brown bag lunch. And I was like, what is this for? And she's like, you will be eating lunch here now because in Mexico, you finish school, you went home and your whole family had lunch at like two or three in the afternoon. And I was like, I am not eating lunch here. I made her come back and pick me up for the lunch hour the first day, because I was like, just in total denial about eating lunch there. I mean, it was, there, there, were, there were so many funny kind of looking back stories of me adjusting. I'd never seen peanut butter. Everybody had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. I made my mom give me, oh, make wow. me salchichas with limon and chile mm -hmm. for lunch. I mean, I showed up, you can imagine how mercilessly I got teased for that. Um, so there were, you know, it was definitely an adjustment period. We spoke a little bit of English because most people in Mexico speak some English. Um, but you know, that was like, there was a lot of shame, frankly, in, in just attending classes and trying to get my bearings and, you know, this whole new world. And um, I, I would beg my mom to take us back. I was just like, you have to, we have to go back to Mexico now. So it definitely was, it was, it was an adjustment period. Um, and then, you know, eventually I think I was one of those people that found sort of my comfort and my security in academics. And I think that's why I became such an academic person. Like I think much to my parents' surprise because it was sort of a way for me to shield myself a little bit emotionally from, from some of the changes. And it was like something I could control. Um, so I became very studious and, and very academic. And that was 
sort of, I think what really helped kind of ease the transition by the time I was a teenager um, was I was a little, I was a little nerdy. I, I liked, I liked, I liked my academics, you know? So sorry, sorry. That's just my, sorry about that. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. We're working Latinas here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think another thing that was, oh, sorry, Jen, I just was going to jump right in. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what was also very interesting is, you know, you went to Yale and then um, you went to the University of Chicago and you become a lawyer. And then you're, you're over here in the courtroom. And one of the things that I read about you was um, that makeup was a way for you to express yourself in a sense, because there was only like a certain type of way that you looked. And that's very interesting to me. And um, when did your passion for makeup come from? So when I was living in Mexico as a young girl, I would um, come home and watch telenovelas every single day after school. I was obsessed with them. I thought the, dra- I don't know, I was very captivated by the drama of it all. And again, you know, it's the 80s and I have this like very tender spot um, in my heart for the 80s and 80s fashion because of it. Um, and so the makeup was glorious and the blue eyeshadow. And, you know, as I mentioned, my mom was a single mom. So she was going out to the disco and it was like, you know, she was a very social person when I was in that, that age range. And so I would always sit by her feet and watch her get ready and like watch the whole thing come together. So the fascination really started there. I was not actually allowed to wear makeup until I was about 14 or 15. So every time I would sneak out with friends and my mom wasn't around, I would sneak a lip gloss, right? And then I'd wipe it off before I got in the car because she was very strict about that. It was kind of like, maybe when you're 15, you can wear a little eyeliner. Um, And it just sort of evolved as this cultural touchstone for me. It became, as I got older, a way for me to continue really, I think, feeling like I was tapping into my roots, right? Like my, my abuela was very much of the, you do not leave the house without a full face of makeup on. You do not show up to an interview without lipstick on. Like, you know, when I came home from college that first uh, semester, it was, it had been so cold uh, at college and I had gotten no sun and at the baggage claim, my mom whipped out her bronzer and started like bronzing my face because she was horrified, right? So it just, you know, it, it in a very humorous, um, touching way, it has become this, this cultural point of connection between me and other Latinas in my life, whether it is my grandmother or it's like our, you know, my friends and my cousins. And every time we're together, it was this big joke that the first thing we do when we're together is like, what lipstick are you wearing? what Mac, whatever are you wearing? What eyeliner, which, you know, what are you trying? And so I love that. And as I, and I never let go of that. I mean, it was kind of a joke in law school and in college that, you know, everybody's in like hoodies and I would show up to class with, with makeup and everyone joked that I always look like I had a, a job interview. Um, and then when I, when I became a lawyer, it, I felt oddly, not oddly, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Like the amount of Latinos in law is, is, is the smallest percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, Latino women in particular have the lowest like percentage of, of, they represent the lowest percentage of total admissions into law schools. So it wasn't a surprise that by the time I get to a law firm, it's like, I've just totally lost touch 
like at a core level in a day-to-day way with the community. And Mm -hmm. I think it was sort of my way of like digging my heels in and saying, yes, I have to wear this black suit and I have to wear these closed toed shoes and the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. no, you don't want me to wear hoops, but like I'm wearing that red lipstick Mm -hmm. and I'm doing Mm -hmm. the winged eyeliner. And like, that's the end of that conversation. There's not a lot you can do about it. Um, And, and it, it also became this like fascinating um, escape to me. I was ordering boxes from Sephora, like on a daily basis, you know, and I, was, mm-hmm. I just started makeup hoarding. Um, and I loved kind of the, what I'm going to call the alter ego of like, I was a super polished kind of hardworking person at work during the day. And then when I went out on the weekends, I wanted to experiment with totally crazy colors and makeup look. And that was a lot of where sort of the hoarding came in. It became a tool in my box with which I could express different sides of myself that I felt we're sort of being sublimated as a lawyer sitting behind a computer all day. So that was, you know, the, the, the passion for it never left. Um, and, and so that was sort of the origins of how I ended up with living out of it, which is so random. That's an amazing story. I mean, honestly, I love it. And it's so true. What you're saying about like the culture and the connection to like your family, you know, members and the culture. And I just curious, do your family members, we're going to get to your, to your beauty company in a minute, but I'll be interested in hearing about like what kind of input they give you to, um, you know, for like the different products you have coming out. But I wanted to back up a little bit in regards to, you know, you growing up and you're saying you kind of sheltered yourself with, you know, academia and everything. And I know growing up myself and I'm sure Melina too, with our moms and being in the community, like for me, I was probably like one, if there were any other Latinas, you know, probably the only Latina there. So my mom was always like in my ear saying, you know what? you know, if someone's doing hundred percent, do 110%, you know, you can be anything you want. Don't listen to anyone. I didn't have, I have to say, I was lucky. I had friends. I assimilated pretty well. I think part of it was because obviously giving up a little bit of the cultural identity, but how did you like, what kind of advice did your mom give you, you know, growing up as a child, but also like when you got into like law school and then when you were actually practicing law? So my mom, I joke, my mom should work for like, she should be like the cultural minister of Mexico because her (laughs) angle on it was that we continue to go back to Mexico like 10 times a year. Mm -hmm. So she never wanted us to lose that cultural connection. She only spoke Spanish to us. She was fluent in English, but she would only speak Spanish to us. She actually enrolled us in an additional Spanish tutor from the moment Mm -hmm. we touched ground in the United States to make sure we didn't lose the ability to read and write it. Um, because she knew that like, as time went on, we would lose the language. And so with it, I think she really fostered this continual connection of our love of Mexico. She was so proud um, that we were from there. And then, you know, little by little, it was like, well, what do you mean for spring break? You want to hang out with your friends? Why don't you bring your friends to Mexico? Mm -hmm. Why don't you, you know, it's Christmas break, like bring your friends to Mexico. So we started, I'm like I said, she was like running like a cruise ship. It was like, (laughs) bring everybody to Mexico and convince your friends that Mexico is just the coolest place on earth, which is not hard to do because they're all, you know, we're all young teenagers and preteens. We have so much freedom and it's so great. And my mom's super laid back. And so um, we, we did that. And I, I think with that, the, the narrative or among my friends anyway, shifted. It was like, you're, it's so cool that you're not from here. You know, it became this sort of point of fascination and they loved coming over and learning different things about different cultures from this firsthand perspective that my mom was providing in our house. So it, it became easier. Certainly 
like every kid that's that immigrated here, like I had my moments, I had the kids that were not nice to me. Um, and my mom, I remember just, you know, in a very calm way, just saying like, you know, it's too bad for them. And that's been sort of her attitude about everything. Like it is a privilege um, of a lifetime to be a Latina woman, to be from Mexico. That is what she instilled in us. And I, I think I've carried that with me um, and, and feel that it is this privilege. Like it's messy. And that's a lot of what the brand is about. It's messy. Our identity as Latinas, like in this culture, one foot here, one foot there, un poquito acá, un poquito allá is, is a really complicated thing to navigate but it's yeah. also so dynamic and it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. Um, I think one of the things it taught me that, you know, looking back, I'm so grateful for is in that confusion, it also made me such an adaptable person, right? Mm -hmm. I could be at a Yale university talking to somebody from New York about whatever. And then the next minute I could be in a totally different place in the world, speaking Spanish to whoever. And, you know, I felt very like I could absorb a lot of different cultures and I could pivot frequently and, and well, and I was adaptable. And I think that that, that was a, a really wonderful, wonderful thing she taught me. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it was about that pride. I have to say the pride is like, it's intense. It's really intense. That's so important. That's a hundred percent. And it's so hard. I think for a, a lot of people in our community and Latinas to hold on to that pride. So that's a really good lesson. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing thing, and it's not for everybody to I think understand or embrace. And that was another thing I've sort of learned being a lawyer and through my journey. Like everyone's not going to get you, and everyone's not going to get what you're about, and everyone's not going to get what you are passionate about. And mm -hmm. it's okay. Like they don't have to get it because the people that get it get it. Like and and mm -hmm. that's that's it. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, I, I credit my mom 100% for all of that. Mamas, we love them. We love them. Yes, yes. We sure do. No, but I can honestly say, like, my mom is from Bolivia, so I was born and raised here in Los Angeles, but I was like you. I went every summer to Bolivia, and the one thing my mom would always say is always have mascara, like anywhere you present yourself, because we're going to look different. We're going to be different. We're not going to be like everybody that the blonde hair and this and that. So she's like, you're just going to have to work a little harder, like fit in. And I didn't understand that when I was young, but as I got older, I understood it. So, because, you know, there was these, these references that were made because I was Latina. And mm -hmm. for me, I was always put in like a spot. They always just thought that I like loved Mexican food. And I was like, I do, but guess what? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm from South America, <laughs> America and we eat different types of food. So that was always something that I had to educate people on because I was just like, nope, guess what? There's a lot of us from all over the world. So I definitely relate to you with that. But I'm sure you also had some, some, you know, hardships along the way. Um, is there something you can share with us in regards to, I mean, even though you're a lawyer, I'm sure there was situations. Oh, sure. Um, you know, there, there isn't ever going to be either, either just as a woman or like a Latina or any sort of minority woman, there are these microaggressions that I think take, unfortunately, a lot of maturity and a lot of experience to figure out how to handle them. You know, I remember in law school struggling, there was, you know, there were a lot of 
I'm going to say male energy that just kind of felt the need to bully you in class when you were saying something, they would try to kind of talk you down. It was, you know, there was a lot of that. Um, but, you know, one of the most egregious and, and hysterical, because I wish I had handled it differently than I did um, now, now in hindsight was when I was practicing law, a partner that I worked for all the time had a, a gathering at his house one weekend for another associate. Um, and, you know, the entire department was there and, you know, it was this like kind of community feeling thing. And at the end of the party, he singled me out and asked me to go clean the dishes in his kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I just remember there was a really dear friend of mine who was my mentor, who just shot me this look like she could not believe it. And he sat there with his dog on his chair in his living room and just like watched me from his living room while he was petting his dog, like making sure that I was cleaning the kitchen. And, and my mentor friend came in and was like, you go home. I will sit here and clean these because she, she couldn't believe, I mean, she knew it was going to send me over the edge. Right. Like that was kind of the joke. Mm -hmm. Like also, right. Like you're this fiery person that like kind of takes no bullshit. And what, what are you going to do on Monday? If I like, don't take over this, this uh, project. And, you know, and the thing is, is that I think with reflection, I would have just handled that differently. I just think I would have been mm-hmm. like, I'm really sorry. I have things to do. And I just, I would have left. And instead, I, I think I was so stunned. Yes. And in a, in a way, it's a little bit, you know, you have to toe that line of not mm-hmm. always being so on guard that you're waiting for people to treat you that way, because mm-hmm. that's like such a waste of energy. And you spend so much time being vigilant, expecting people to treat you poorly because they think of you in a different way, or they don't understand what you're about. Um, but on the other hand, when things like that happen, it just, it, it was like, so shocking. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Like I, Mm -hmm. I'm one of the top, like more senior associates in this department. Um, I went to an Ivy league school. Like I'm so confused as to how you think that because of where I came from and the color of my skin, you can tell me to go clean the dishes in your kitchen. Um, and not anybody else. I mean, it was like, it would have been one thing if I was the only person there at the end, there was an, uh, there were the entire department was there. Right. So it, it um, you know, and that's like one thing I try to impart, like you have to sort of brush those things off and be like onto the next because you can't allow those things to wound you. As I sit here and mm-hmm. I've talked about it for five minutes. So clearly it wounded me to some degree. And, and it wasn't, you know, it's not just the wound. It's the like, it's the, it's the realization that you cannot control where people's ignorance lies. Like you, mm-hmm. we just don't have any control over that. All you can do is sort of just, move forward, push forward and try to be the best example of a woman or a person in your community that you can be. And that's, that was, that's always been sort of my guiding principle. It's like, I want to make people in our community proud that I'm a member of that community. It is up to me to constantly earn my keep and make sure that I am being like a a really strong, you know, best representation that I can be. Um, That's really important to me. I think it's, it's something that uh, as I strive, as I strive to do that, it also means sometimes we have to be the bigger person. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I did, look, I felt bad for this, this partner. He was just so ignorant. And that like, you know, it, and, and I think also when you're climbing the professional ladder, it is right. very hard to reconcile sometimes how people who have such uh, confused and ignorant views about the world around them end up in positions of power but it happens all the time. 
right? It's, you know, as a brand, we, we've sold at huge retailers and we've encountered people that really kind of get what the importance of multicultural beauty is and other people in insane positions of power who do not understand it at all. I mean, when I was talking to one retailer who said, you know, we love your brand, but we need you to take all the Spanish off, you know, take the Spanish, mm. right? No, like white influencers aren't going to be able to pronounce this on a YouTube video. You know, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's, but it's, it's what happens. It never ceases to amaze you, but you, you kind of have to just keep pushing, I guess. Keep pushing. Yeah. Well, that's what I think the wounds did for you because I have to share a quick story and it has to do with makeup. So I was working for a very, very big national show and I was in my office and one of the senior people came in and dropped a box of just it like I didn't even turn around and she was just like this is Mexican makeup and keep in mind this was like maybe early 2000s and I just was like what what I was so shocked confused because I looked down and it's like 10 shades darker and I'm like what do you what is going on and I just I had to take a beat because I couldn't become the you know fiery Latina like excuse me because I was at work but I also was so angry because I'm like this is not how you treat people and what are you like this was before obviously all the great lines but it takes wounds to really create more which is something like you've done you know and now look at your brand is huge and you've been able to really um, speak to women like myself because mm-hmm. before we were just put in two categories, right? It was either just the normal makeup that it was mostly for like fair skinned women, not like a little darker than us. And we were over here just blending everything with darker shades. So, you know, I do think that we've come a long way. So thank you because you took a big, big risk, Absolutely. right? Well, well, th- thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, I, I took a risk. I think as a, as an immigrant, there's a little bit of a, of a push that you naturally get because the attitude from day one is like, well, I don't know. So everyone's expecting me to fail anyway. So what, Mm -hmm. what happens if I try? So what if I fail? Mm -hmm. That's what everyone expected. But if I succeed, this is, that's great. Right. And I'll, I'll surprise everyone, including myself. Um, But to to your point, you know, you're not even Mexican. It's like when someone says this is Mexican makeup. And I think that was one of the really tricky things about uh, Reina Reverde is that it comes from a founder with a Mexican point of view, but with like, you know, as a woman, I was out to demystify this notion that a, we're all Mexican mm-hmm. and B, if you speak Spanish, you are, that's it. You're, you know, you mm-hmm. all come from one country and you're exactly the same. And so really like the notion of the brand is like as Latino women, no matter what country I've ever visited, I have friends from all over Latin America, we're obsessed with beauty We're obsessed with kind of the fiery, like, go get it attitude. Latinas in this country are enrolling in college at a faster rate than all their other counterparts. They're starting businesses. They're going to grad school. They're raising families. It's like an incredible energetic source. And so that's where the like feeling of the Reina Rebelde comes from is I think it's something, it's an energy that all of us tap into. However, we are all of these sub-communities. And so, for example, when we do um, collaborations, we'll do a collaboration with a Puerto Rican influencer and Mm -hmm. the products will be influenced 
directly from her by her authentic Puerto Rican point of view. I would never dream of creating a product line that was like, let's celebrate Puerto Rican heritage. I don't know what Puerto Rican heritage is as well as she mm -hmm. would, or a Dominican girl. And so we really, we really try to mix it up for that exact reason is that there is an educational component here. I hope for retailers, for whoever is watching the line that is sort of saying, oh, she's from Bolivia, she's Colombian, she's Mexican, they're different. Like they all love makeup and they're all like badass mm -hmm. women but they're different and the cultural nuances, it's time that we really kind of bring those up to the fore because that's what I think makes our community so interesting and so fascinating. Like you look at the election and people are like, how, how come the Latinos didn't vote as a block? And I'm just like, because we're, mm -hmm. not, a, we're not a block in that way either. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So right. we're not a monolith. And it is, it's this tricky sort of dance about kind of bringing that to light and, and doing like a service to authentically highlight all these different communities under the Latina umbrella, obviously. Um, but yeah, I love hearing stories like, like yours because it just validates what I feel is a really important mm -hmm. mission that is super nuanced. And certainly a lot of, it's just lost on a lot of people. They're like, whatever, you all speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost like it's like the sub- underneath the surface, there's just so many interesting, you know, different cultures and different heritages and, and like richness that there, that is there to mine and learn from each other. And I, I love that notion of women connecting over makeup, but coming from so many different cultures. I think it's such an important, cool aspect of, of what, what, what's going on in our demographic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love is also, like you said, the personalization of everything. Like I get excited about just seeing like, you know, if the color fuerza, seeing something in Spanish, seeing like the symbols. So tell us a little bit about like the packaging too, like how much love you put into that. Oh man, <laughs> I put so much love into that packaging. It was like, it was literally like birthing a baby, but it took a lot longer. Uh, and <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know, you know, I feel like it was one of those things in a typical way where like I overthought it. And I put, I mean, there is not a point in any of our packaging that I did not think about, conceive, uh, put so much thought. There were vision boards that took over entire walls. I moved to LA for five months. I pounded the pavement every single day by myself for five months. I went to raves in East LA. I went to underground clubs. I went to car shows. I interviewed people in line at the bathroom. I stood in stalls. I asked people what eyeliner they were wearing. I went to tattoo parlors. I mean, for five months, I pounded the pavement, really trying to understand, you know, I'd lived in New York. So I understood the, the East coast Latina, mm -hmm. like the Dominicans and the Puerto Ricans. I'd spent a lot of time with them, but I really wanted to understand kind of the LA subset. I'd lived in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I understood that Latino community and obviously Texas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with it, I came up with this packaging that was about the mysticism, the, the kind of heritage that we all carry, which comes from generations of our country, mm -hmm. you know, and all these, these, these like elements and these symbols that we kind of bring into our life and that our families continue to pour on us. You know, I know we all have like the grandmother that lights the candle and, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was that whole feeling of, you know, you, you are this vessel that is carrying all of that heritage with you. And you're pushing forward in this like world and you're this, you know, vibrant person and the makeup is like another tool in your toolbox. And so 
you know, yeah, I put all the milagros and like every milagro was specifically chosen to have a specific message. Um, you know, the, the light and the dark of the packaging, the outside is a butterfly pattern with skulls. And then you open it up and it's this vibrant red and pink roses. And it really speaks to our dualities, right? We're yeah. reinas and we're rebeldes. Sometimes yeah. we wear mm -hmm. black lipstick and big hoops and other times like I'm totally lawyer professional, but I do both and I don't want to be pigeonholed and I'm not just, you know, a Spanish speaker. I'm Spanish and English. I, I'm ambicultural mm -hmm. um, and I wanted all I wanted to bring all of that out into the open and be like, it's a it's a goddamn mess and it's amazing. So like, let's get in there and just like be that and be like, you can't pigeonhole me. I'm this and I'm that. You yeah. know, our logo is an ambigram. You can read it from front ways and back ways, which is just to say, like, I'm never going to be the Latina you want to pigeonhole me to be. I'm like who I am and I'm both. And right. so it was like, I thought so much about it and the cartons and this. And of course, then we launch and people are like, I didn't even notice that was an ambigram. They just throw the cartons away. I mean, if I could tell you the months we spent Ugh. sourcing these cartons, could you print it? And the three different finishes and the this and know the red and the, you know, and the cartons, not white. I want them to be like, flowers exploding when they open and people are like this is nice and they throw away the carton you know and I'm like don't throw away the carton damn it don't throw away the carton so you know it, it is like a passion um you know thing that I just got so in the weeds on I mean you wouldn't believe how in the weeds we got into it and and, and me personally uh because I wanted to create something that was really unique and and it wasn't just a lipstick so much more than a lipstick um and, you know, the, the business side of things is very different from that. A lot, some people get it and a lot of people don't get it. They're like, this is pretty, you know, and that's kind of that. Um, the Spanish names were very important to me because I thought it was kind of like a wink and a nod. You know, we all speak Spanglish to some extent, but I wanted mm -hmm. that Spanish name. And I wanted people who, um, you know, one of the interesting things I learned when I was living in L.A. was so many of the young girls I interviewed didn't speak Spanish that well, but they were, they were very Latina. And I understood why, like two, three generations prior of your relatives or your ancestors moved to the LA area. You were told not to teach your kids mm -hmm. Spanish to completely Absolutely. integrate them into yeah. the English language. And there was so much shame around it. And I thought like, we have to make the names sort of funny and interesting. And they have to be Spanish because of nothing else. I want that Latina girl to pick it up and say, what does Brava mean? Like, I love this red lipstick, but what does Brava mean? And I'm going to go Google it. No shame. But like, yeah. maybe I'm going to like pick up a little something along the way about, you know, South American or Central American culture. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I thought about all those things. <laughs> How I'm much of that's glad. lost on the population at large who buys the product? Who knows? But it was it was it was something that uh, I actually really enjoyed. I thought it was like such a fun interesting creative process for me. And it was frankly, so therapeutic. I mean, it was like bringing the best of my entire like childhood experience, like onto a whole makeup line. So. That was beautiful. I was like, it was like full circle. It was like the bow on the present. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And Thank now, um, I mean, I can't wait to go to any of these, you know, stores and pick up your, pick up your makeup and I'm going to be so proud and I'm going to be like, yes. Actually, I've ordered it already. You do. I've ordered it online. Yes. I was online today. I was like, oh, from Walmart for some reason. So, <laughs> but you're getting your lipstick. 
I want to oh, well, try God. the eyeliner too. The one, um, yeah, yeah the, the popular one. I was like, oh, I need a little kick in my step on the weekend. <laughs> well, it's interesting in making the products. I test everything on my mom because like I'm not 25, right? I'm in my mm-hmm. early 40s. Mm-hmm. And my mom still wears a lot of makeup, like a lot of our moms do. My mom's in her 70s. And so I tested on her because Latinas like to wear makeup into their 60s, 70s, 80s. My grandmother wore makeup Absolutely. like on her deathbed at 91. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that it's the, the formulas and the products are all things that feel and look good on like a variety of age tone of, of age ranges, which I think in addition to obviously skin tones, which is the obvious one, right? We, we come in a range of skin tones, but the formula is like, if it doesn't work on my mom, like I very rarely put it into production mm. um, because I, I do think that that's important. Um, and I actually feel very empowered when I see a woman that's older than me wearing bright red lipstick. I'm like, I'm still going to be able to pursue my passion. It's not going to look ridiculous when I'm 70. That's kind of like, you know, I don't want to get to an age where I don't want to age out of this. So um, of course not. No, of course not. Absolutely. Well, where let's just tell our listeners, like, where could they get your makeup right now in stores? So right now we are, we're actually in a little bit of a pivot right now. You can buy our entire collection online. Um, We are Mm -hmm. relaunching our Amazon store sometime soon. Um, we had been selling on Amazon and then stopped for a while and we're, we're getting back up on there and we're actually launching in a new retailer next month. Um, so, you know, check out news for that. I can't say who it is yet, but, uh, we're, we're excited about that. And, you know, we, we're, we're kind of really taking this sort of strategically. We had a couple of great retailers that we were working with in Mexico. And then with the pandemic, so many things shut down. So I'm hoping a lot of those conversations get, uh, you know, reemerged this year as things hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, get back absolutely. to normal. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Regina. We appreciate your time. Thank you guys. Um, and then I know we're going to yeah. see and talk to you again. 